I ask kids and I've asked, I want to say over 10,000 at this point, I ask them the same question. What kind of books do you like? And they will tell me funny books. I like graphic novels. I like mysteries, these sorts of things. I have never had a kid say, I like books about boys because that's not how they're thinking. Hey everyone, I'm Bianca Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. In today's episode, I talk with New York Times bestselling author Shannon Hale about her new picture book, This Book Is Not For You. We take a really deep dive into the implications of applying genders to books, like saying, that's a girl's book or that's a boy's book. Now, I'm not going to speak for you, but I know at the end of this conversation that I had with Shannon, I came away feeling enlightened, empowered, and just inspired to keep encouraging kids to reach for the books that speak to them. So Shannon is the author of over 30 children's and young adult novels, including graphic novel memoirs, Real Friends, Best Friends, and Friends Forever. She has written multiple award winners, such as The Goose Girl, Book of a Thousand Days, and Newbery Award recipient, Princess Academy. She also penned three books for adults, beginning with Austin Land, which is now a major motion picture starring Kerry Russell. With her husband, Dean Hale, she co-wrote over a dozen books, such as Eisner-nominated graphic novel, Rapunzel's Revenge, and illustrated chapter book series, The Princess in Black. They live with their four children near Salt Lake City, Utah. Before we dig into this worthwhile conversation, here is the synopsis for This Book Is Not For You. From New York Times best-selling and Newbery Honor-winning author Shannon Hale and award-winning illustrator Tracy Supersack comes a zany picture book that pokes fun at overly gendered notions of boy books and girl books and celebrates the pleasure of a good book. Stanley's thrilled for Bookmobile Day until the old man at the window refuses to lend him the story he wants, all because it features a girl. Girl books are only for girls, the bookman insists, just like cat books are only for cats and robot books are only for robots. But when a dinosaur arrives at the bookmobile and successfully demands a book about ponies, Stanley musters the courage to ask for the tale he really wants about a girl adventurer fighting pirates on the open seas. By speaking up, Stanley inspires the people, cats, robots, and goats around him to read more stories outside their experiences and enjoy the pleasure of a good book of their choosing. Hi, Shannon. I'm just super excited right now because I actually get to say something on this podcast for the first time, and it is welcome back because you're, oh! yeah, you're the first person to come back twice, and I'm excited about that. I'm I'm in the I'm the I'm the founder of the Two Timers Club. Yeah, woohoo! 
(laughs) (laughs) So our listeners have just heard the synopsis for your latest picture book. This book is not for you. And so they know that it pokes fun at overly gendered notions of boy books and girl books, and that it's ultimately a celebration of the pleasure of a good book. And when I picked up this book to read it, I had no idea how you were going to pull it off. And oh my gosh, well, I'm not really surprised, but you totally nailed it. (laughs) Thank you. So I want to dig in to this whole gender conversation. And so I'm hoping you don't mind, but I want to start by reading a snippet from a Washington Post article that you wrote in 2018. Um, It was titled, What Are We Teaching Boys When We Discourage Them From Reading Books About Girls? Yeah. Okay. So you said, It's clear that our culture assumes, one, boys aren't going to like a book that stars a girl. Two, men's stories are universal, while women's stories or women's stories are only for girls. And after all, books about boys like Harry Potter, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Holes are for everyone. But books about girls, Judy Bloom's novels, Anna Green Gables, Twilight are just for girls. And you went on to say, I wasn't always sure this assumption was incorrect. So let's let's talk about that, because as an author who's been publishing books about you know, and you've been touring schools for over 15 years, you've had some firsthand experiences in the ways in which grown-ups either directly or inadvertently steer kids away from a book that they may otherwise have enjoyed. Right. So let's go. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) So you interrupt me whenever you have a question, because I can literally talk about this for hours. Okay, please do. (laughs) (laughs) So a brief summary of my history with it. My first book was called The Goose Girl. It was a YA fantasy. I remember talking to my editor about the title and I said, um, she she was talking about wanting possibly changing it. And I had named it after the fairy tale that it was based on. And I said, are you worried about boy readers that they would be turned off because there's a girl, the girl is in the title. And she said, oh, I'm not worried about boy readers. They're not going to read this. That was just the assumption going forward. It's about a girl's by women that the publishers never even bothered to market they, they market women these are w- girls books and they market just for girls this was the assumption when I started in this business and I'm new and fresh and you know 29 and going okay I guess you know more than I do and um by my third book my third book was called Princess Academy which is a very gendered title right and but that one won a Newbery honor and something unexpected happened then because it was a Newbery book, teachers started to do it for read-alouds in classes, which they would not have otherwise, but it has the stamp of approval, right? And they start to read it or study it with their classes. And I started hearing back from read from teachers who said, when I told the, the kids that we were going to read a book called Princess Academy, the girls went, yay, and the boys went, boo. But by the time we'd read it, the boys loved it as much or even more than the girls did. And I, because there was so much of this evidence now, I was able to go, wait a minute. So it's not that boys are incapable. It sounds funny to say this, but this was really the belief that boys are incapable of appreciating and liking a book about a girl. It's that they never read them in the first place because the adults are giving them these, these clues that they're not supposed to. And I started to notice 
And I'm so happy it happened so early in my career so I could spend, uh, you know, 15 years observing this firsthand. I mean, for example, I was introduced, I was doing a school assembly for a whole elementary school. And I, the librarian introduced me, girls, you're going to be so excited. You are going to love Shannon Hill's books. Boys, I expect you to behave anyway. Like literally that's how I got introduced. I would be at book signings and there would be a boy that would walk up to my table and, and I start asking about it. And a parent, a mom or dad, I saw this hundreds of times, literally pull them away. No, those are girls' books. This sort of thing firsthand in front of me constantly. And sometimes not so overtly, sometimes, you know, more, they would be like, I, Hey boys, I think you'll like this book, even though it's about a girl or a mom would come up to me and with her son and be like, my son actually read one of your books and he actually liked it. These little ways that, that adults are showing kids that we didn't expect you to, we don't expect boys to like books about girls. And what we're really saying is we don't expect boys to empathize with girls. So here's what I'm hearing is that through your experiences, you started paying more attention and discovered that your books actually had many boy readers, but some of them were probably reading it in secret so that they didn't have to feel the shame from their peers. And it sounds like that the shaming of boys reading books about girls is starting with and supported by grownups. Am I correct? Absolutely. You're absolutely right that peer shaming does happen, but that's been conditioned into them. Because when I work with kids that haven't been conditioned yet, they don't care. They literally don't care. I mean, they don't care what gender the main character is. They want to know what genre it is. So when I do signings, especially when they're at festivals or 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 schools where I get to meet a whole bunch of people, not just the, the kids that just come to bookstores expressly to see me are almost always, you know, that's 95 to 100% girls. That's who comes sees me, who who makes the effort to come see me. But when I'm in schools where I get to see everybody who just is there, I ask kids and I've asked I want to say over 10,000 at this point. I ask them the same question, what kind of books do you like? And they will tell me funny books, I like graphic novels, I like mysteries, these sorts of things. I have never had a kid say I like books about boys because that's not how they're thinking. But when uh, you talk to booksellers and they get parents and grandparents that come into their bookstore and they're shopping for kids, what they say is, I need a boy book. And what does that really mean? What is a boy book? I think it means something that is about a boy and something that reinforces our traditional understanding of what is acceptable, what is masculine. Not only is it is this kind of thing preventing boys from experiencing, you know, so many great books, and we know books help develop empathy for people different from you. So developing empathy for half the human race, but it's also narrowly prescribing what it means to be a boy. Not every boy is the same. Not every boy wrestles with his brothers in the dirt and eats worms and, you know, plays baseball. And, you know, there's this weird cultural concept of what we have. And this younger generation is just moving past these kinds of of gender norms so much faster than our generation or our parents did. And it just doesn't make sense to them. So adults are putting these expectations on them that they're they're not understanding, but often going along with because they get shamed if they don't. And of course, being shamed by people you love. I mean, there's nothing worse. 
Right. There, there's a, a line in your Washington Post article that I want to read right now because it's exactly what, what you're talking about. And you, you said, not only does this kind of thinking prevent boys from learning empathy for girls, it also prescribes narrow gender definitions. There is only one kind of boy and any boy who doesn't fit that mold is wrong. I loved the way you phrased that. And it's true because when, when you were even just talking now about not every boy is the boy that that digs in the dirt and, and digs for worms and, you know, rumbles around with their brothers or, or their friends on the playground, even if they are that boy, that's that's great. That's who they are. But yeah, it's reading those books about girls. They're still going to enjoy them. They're, they're, they're like you said, they're going to learn empathy and an understanding for the opposite gender. So, um, you know, or, or, or reading a book about a non-binary person, you know, I mean, there's so much we can learn from reading books about people who are different to us, you know? So. Absolutely. As, as uh, I forget who said it, but it's a famous quote that books should be mirrors and windows. Like every kid deserves to read a book that reflects themselves back. Absolutely. And we absolutely should be able to read books about boys. And there should be a huge variety of what that looks like. You know, not only, there's not only sports books, right? I love Diary of a Wimpy Kid, but it's not only Diary of a Wimpy Kid. There's a, should be a, a, a huge variety and diversity of options for boys. But books are also windows that they give us a chance to look into someone else's life in a more intimate way than anything, than, than movies, than even knowing a person because we can't read their thoughts. Books can give us that insight that no other kind of interaction or storytelling can. And to deny boys the opportunity to really understand and develop empathy for half the human race, that sets them up for failure in, in this world, as they are going to have relationships with female people and non-binary people, they're going to have, you know, work or, or family or, you know, just in life. And I'm also thinking about the girls and non-binary people who have to live in a world with people who never learned empathy for them. That's not fair either, because girls are encouraged more than encouraged to read and understand books about boys and understand them. And when boys are actually prevented, that means girls are doing the heavy lifting in this world, in, in relationships, in understanding, in, in empathy and compassion. And, and boys are just leaving it up to half of the human race for that. I, I, it breaks my heart to see it. And, it, you know, you talk to adult women who have married men who never read a book about a girl. And I'm telling you, they can tell. Yeah. I don't know if you ever read that book, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. <laughs> I, like, I never did. I remember it. It was like huge in the 80s. It was. And I totally read it and it totally makes sense. And so I'm somebody who I like to talk about books that I love because I believe that not every book is for every person, but for every person, there is a book. So if I don't enjoy a book, I just... I don't go out there and bash a book, right? So I feel I feel badly saying this, but I almost feel like that book almost weaponizes women and men against each other. Well, I know the ultimate goal of it was to understand each other. It almost gives each gender an excuse to like just stay yeah. in this way that culture defines us. Um, right, and right. so I feel like 
the importance of the conversation we're having today is that we don't have to let culture define us. And I think this younger generation that we're in is teaching us, the adults, to move out of it. And Absolutely. So what I think, too, it's it's possible that many of us don't even realize that we have a bias because it's just been ingrained in, ingrained in us from the moment that we entered the world. So what do you feel that we all need to do to sort of change this gender-based narrative and, and, and move forward? What can we do? I think the first thing is just recognizing that it exists. I spent most of my time trying to convince people that it exists. The idea that boys won't read books about girls, but girls will read books about boys is an ideology. It's something that we've said so often that we think it's true when really we just make it true. The idea that boys are less capable of empathy than girls uh, is another ideology. We we make it true. So first we just have to say, um, hey, this is not... This is not like written in stone somewhere. This is not written in DNA. There's so much evidence that it's not true. So let's just take a step back and go, okay, it's not true. And then we have to examine, do we want it to be true? Are we happy in a world where boys are prevented and shamed if they try to empathize and with girls and understand them? No, we can see immediately devastating consequences for that behavior. When we set boys loose in a world telling them, you do not have to wonder about what girls are thinking. You are the center of the story. They are side characters. They do not have an internal narrative. I mean, that's frightening. That's a frightening thing. And um, girls and women have been bearing the consequence of, of that ideology, you know, for centuries. So we, we recognize that it's real. Changing it is actually super simple once we recognize it. And it's as simple as just, we just, in this particular case, we stop telling boys that certain books are for them and girls, certain books are for them or that they shouldn't read certain books. We just remove that. You could say a book is about girls without saying it's for girls. It's really very simple. And books are such powerful teachers that once we sort of open the library doors and we like, you can read whatever and the kids find what they like, they'll figure it out on their own. Uh, our job, we're actually making things worse by doing stuff. We could, if we do less, things will be better. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree with that. I think that really simple phrasing that you just said nails it. Instead of communicating that this is a book for girls, that this is a book about girls, or yeah. this is, this is, not a book for boys because it's about a, um, you know, a high school male football player. This is a book about a boy who plays football, right? So yes. I, it's it really is such a simple switch of words, but it's so impactful. Yeah. You know, there's famously uh, Matt De La Pena, the, the author, he often talks about how he grew up just not reading, not being a reader, very much a sports person. And he went to college, I believe, on a basketball scholarship and had never read a, a novel in his life. And while he was in college, he had a professor who gave him a book, a novel, and he read it. The first novel he'd ever read, loved it so much, became hooked on reading and now, you know, is a famous author. And I, when you, what you would ask, what, what book people would expect that to have been? What book would you have given that boy 
who's on a basketball scholarship, who's never read a book before and thinks he doesn't like reading. The book was The Color Purple by Alice Walker. And I think our assumptions would have tried to like cater to his maleness, his sportiness or something, some given him something that was really, you know, Hemingway heavy or something. I don't know. But um, it was empathizing with a woman who, uh, who was a different gender, a different race, a different sexuality than him. And he was hooked. So I think the more we assume what we think kids are going to like, the more we get it wrong. And the more that we try to tell kids what books they should read and what they shouldn't, the less they read just entirely. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So I also I kind of want to emphasize something here, like in case there's somebody's somebody listening who who does use the term. uh, Here's a book for girls and here's a book for boys. The reason I jumped at wanting to have this conversation with you, Shannon, is because I have used those terms before and I have things to learn. And I feel like my responsibility as the founder of the Children's Book Review is when I'm presenting books I want it's like you said before the mirrors and windows I I don't want it to be a representation of just the books that are on my personal shelf at home I want everybody to be able to come and find the next best book that's going to turn them into that lifelong reader and so when you started in the industry you said you were 29 when I started the children's book review I was 28 And as I would add books onto the website, I would pop them into little categories. And I had for a really long time on my website, a category that was books for girls and a category for books for boys. Somebody emailed me a few years back. I, you know, I want to say maybe five years ago and kind of ripped into me about having those categories on my website. And of course, my instant reaction was like a little bit uh, for a moment, like taken aback, like, oh my gosh, like this is a labor of love, this website. I put right. so much passion and time into this. Why are they attacking me? I'm doing the best thing I can. Attacking never is helpful. So, so then I stepped back and I was like, but you know what? It's 100% correct. So I need to get over my defensiveness and I need to change it. And so Right now, the categories, because there's so many years of books in those categories, it says books with girl characters, books with boy characters. And I still don't know if that's just the correct wording, but I know that it's an improvement in, in this getting out of this conversation of books for boys and books for girls. So anyway, I, I wanted to just share that because if anybody's listening and feeling like we're shaming them, that they have that opinion, we're not, we're having this conversation so that we can grow and we can improve and we don't have to feel stuck in what culture has defined for us. So, yes, I'm, I'm so glad you said that. Listen, I have done this myself after years of talking about it. My son and daughter shared a bedroom. And they shared a bookcase 
And when they were going to move into separate bedrooms, I started going through the bookcase and I started separating the books for uh, his pile and her pile. And I got about halfway through and I realized I was separating them by the gender of the main character, not by interest, not by age or reading level, but by gender. I did it without thinking. It's a very, we love our, our human brains love categories. We love, it's so much chaos in the world. We love putting things into simple categories. It's satisfying for us. And it takes more effort to question these categories that have been, you know, instilled in us. So absolutely no shame for this. I don't, I don't like shame for anything, but I am here to, here's mama Shannon absolving anybody who has been guilty of the sin of gendering books in the past. I judge you not. You are welcome here. It's just, you know, putting focus on it so we can start asking ourselves, is this really the world we want? And what are the little teeny changes we can make that will improve it? Yes, absolutely. So I have a call-in question for you. I want to slot it in right here because I know that you have four kids. I don't I don't know what gender your kids are actually. I don't know if you have old girls, if you have old boys. I, I don't know who's in your in your house, but I do know that with four kids and the fact that both you and your husband are in the children's book world that there must be a lot of books and reading. I that's I shouldn't yes. assume, but I do assume that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wait, we have a we have a book problem in this house. We have so many books we at least once a year we bought boxes and boxes of books to donate and still we don't have enough you know how it is yeah (laughs) I I know that feeling so I'm gonna I'm gonna align this question up for you because I feel like it's a good one for right now hi Shannon and Bianca this is Melissa Taylor the founder of Imagination Soup and longtime fan of Shannon's Shannon I'm wondering if you could elaborate on how you and your husband have created a love of reading in your home thank you great question Yes, I've got four kids, ages 11 through 18. And uh, my first book was published when I was pregnant with my first. So they've all gone through this crazy career with me. I would say, first of all, with my first kid, one of my biggest mistakes was assuming that he was going to like the books that I liked at his age. And I was always trying to like, why don't we read Secret Garden? You know, I was always trying to push books that were just not his style and genre. And so the first thing is figuring out, following their lead, figuring out what they are interested in and helping them, you know, trips to the library, trips to the bookstore, if that's in your budget, to fill the house with books that are age appropriate and that they're interested in. Also, um, man, we read to them all the time. I mean, hours a day, we would read, we sit down and snuggle and read books. My second daughter, instead of saying, if she got hurt or was sad, instead of saying, you know, hold me or something, she would say, read book, mama. (laughs) That meant comfort to her. Oh, (laughs) I have it off. That's what drives me crazy with, but they still come through anyway. um, So we reading became a comfort thing with four little kids. Our house was just never clean, but I comforted myself with the thought that we live in a place where if you're lying down on a floor in any room, there should be a book within arm's reach. So (laughs) if you're in despair and you've plopped down, there's going to be something to read really close by. So just books everywhere. And my son started reading books when he was four. And 
big reader of novels and nonfiction. My second, you know, the t- I was having teachers were bringing me in for worried conferences until we got her hooked on graphic novels. And that was, she's just a visual learner and that's what she needed. By the time she was in sixth grade, she tested the top 2% in literacy in the nation. And that was solely graphic novels. To this day, they're her favorite. She reads just so many comics and she reads so voraciously with comics that we have hooked her up with an iPad with access to Marvel Unlimited, which has like all the back issues of all the comics for decades. So she just never runs out of reading material. Marvel Unlimited is a great resource because if you don't have your budget to buy, you know, the the $4 comic every month as it comes out and not everything is in libraries, especially for these kids who read so much comics. So they've got it all digitized and they can just read decades worth of, of comics following their favorite characters through the years. Uh, it's, it's a terrific resource and it's, an, it's a monthly subscription, but it's, it's so affordable comparatively. So with all my kids, it's, it's just following their lead, making sure there's lots of books in the house. And I love to read the books that they are reading so that we can have conversations about them. I have always told my kids, you can read any book you want. I'm, I do not stop them. There have been a couple of times when I've been like, that one really? I'm not sure if you're old enough. But I have not stopped them. I've only ever said, tried to teach them, if you feel uncomfortable, you can always put a book down. You never have to finish a book. You get to decide you're in control. And also, if you ever read something you're confused about or you're uncomfortable with, you can always ask me. And I will never shame them for reading something because honestly, they're going to find out so much of this information in the world in a lot worse ways than reading through a book. Absolutely. And I feel like they come out the other side being prepared for what the world has to offer. It isn't all candy canes and fairy floss and, you know, it's so I, I, I think it's important to trust them. And I think ultimately what you're saying is that we adults just have to get out of the way sometimes and trust that when we empower kids to select the books that speak to them, that that we're going to help raise these lifelong readers who are ready for the world and and more empathetic and all of that. Yes. I more and more just generally as a parent, I think my job is to support, not to make decisions for them and not to protect them from everything because that's impossible, but to be a constant love and support and um, trust them to make those decisions and then be there when the decisions don't go well to support them through it and to be there if they need someone to help think things through and to be there to celebrate them when they do go well and that's really hard you know as they get older more and more taking that step back and following their lead yeah so everything that we've discussed so far is basically what has led you to write this book is not for you am i right that is true so so talk to us a little bit about when you knew that this was a picture book that you had to write so I'd never published a picture book before which is funny because I've been in children's books for so long and I have published every other kind of book graphic novels chapter books middle grade novels young adults adults you know screenplays um every like every genre and but I'd never done a picture book 
and I'd written several and I just thought, I'm not, I don't think I'm good at this. And now I've actually, I published a picture book series with uh, Lewin Pham called Itty Bitty Kitty Corn. But this was the first picture book I ever sold. And the editor came to me and said she loved her Washington, my Washington Post piece and thought it could be a picture book. And did I have any ideas? And so I thought about it and I, I had a couple different takes I could take on it. And so I, we, we talked it through, but I was very wary of doing it um, because nothing kills a picture book like being didactic, you know, uh, come, to come in and be like, here's an important issue that everybody should think about. And so I'm going to tell you in a whimsical way. It, that kind of picture book, I think, falls really flat. And so I was very, very slow to commit to it, to think it through. I wanted to make sure I had a take on it that would make a good picture book on its own, that would just be a fun, great story on its own, but that could have, that could deal this with this issue in a way that isn't preachy or shaming, like we talked about, or, you know, and, and the, one of some of the best ways to to handle anything tricky like that is just simply comedy. I love comedy. I love humorous writing. About half my books are comedies. They're always harder to write than anything else. It's harder to make people laugh than cry. But I thought a, a comedic take would work. And it came also out of my assemblies. I actually talk about boy books and girl books and gendered reading in almost every assembly of the hundreds of assemblies I've done for every age group. And I talk about it in different ways with teens than I do with middle grade, than I do with younger readers. And with younger readers, like our princess in black age readers, um, something I often say is I just want to deal with it up front because people will tell the boys they can't read the princess in black. And I just like to get it out in the open. And so I'll say, hey, kids, if a book is about a robot, does that mean only robots can read it? And they yell, no, and they love to yell no. And it's so fun to hear them yell no at you. And I say, if a book is about cats, does that mean only cats can read it? No. If a book is about boys, can only boys read it? No. If a book is about girls, can only girls read it? No. And, and then they just get it out. I'm like, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I turn to the teachers like, see, you, you see, yeah, you know. Anybody can read any book. Uh, you, you could be the similar to the person that the book's about. You could be different than the people the book's about, and you can still read it. And then, and then, and they get that it's a very simple concept. But that's where this picture book came out of of a of a boy going to a bookmobile to check out a book. He wants to check out a book about cats. First, he wants to check out a book about a girl, and the old man manning the bookmobile is like, "Your boy, you can't read a book about a girl." Which is the thing that can I, can I pause you for one second, Shannon? I actually have your I have the book ready to pull up. Would, would you read for our listeners just that fir the first little three pages where it where Stanley, the boy, rides up to the bookmobile and the man in the bookmobile suggests that he shouldn't read this book? Would, would you mind? Oh, sure. My picture book, the bookmobile really came out of that assembly and it starts with Stanley. He he comes to the bookmobile that's there every week. He walks up to it and the usual lady isn't there. A very old man leaned out of the bookmobile. Hey there, the bookmobile lady is on vacation, so you're stuck with me. He read the back of the book and then peered at Stanley from beneath his eyebrows. Looks like this book is about a girl. You don't want this one, do you? Well, Stanley really did want to read it. 
but now he felt embarrassed. Yeah. Thanks for reading that bit. Cause I feel like it's just the perfect demonstration of how, how it just that simple, you know, statement from the book, my bill guy just, you know, deterred him instantly. Yes. And this happens like all the time. And I, I meet people who think that it doesn't happen. And I guess I've been in a unique position to see it happen constantly. Like recently um, I had an industry person tell me, this isn't really an issue anymore. You don't need to talk about it anymore. People understand. And what was funny is that same week I had five women come over to my house to work, help me with a project in my office. And they all came at different times and they were all mothers and they all had both boys and girls. And while they were there in my office, my books are all there. So I offered to sign books for their kids if they wanted to give them the books as a thank you. Every single one of them asked me to sign it to their daughter. And when I asked about the age of their, how old their sons were, their sons were in the age, the appropriate age for that book. I asked if I could sign one for them as well. And they were all really uncomfortable with that. And a couple of them even said, but they're girl books. So this idea is, is very, so deeply ingrained in people. And I've seen librarians do it. I've seen booksellers do it. I see people do it just without thinking about it. And a lot of it is from really good intentions because especially about 10 years ago, um, there was a report that came out. The boys aren't reading as much as girls and everybody just like panicked. No, it was like 15 years ago. Like, oh no, boys are not reading. We've got to get them to read. And so everybody's like, okay, what do we need to do? What, what's, what do we need to do to make sure boys read? We need to make sure they have books that are right for them. So it all became about just shoving what they thought were boy books down their throat to be like, see, look, it's fun. But adults are just really bad <laughs> knowing what kids like. And it just made everything worse. It, this is like a whole nother conversation, but it's the whole like book banning issue too. It's like, why, why do adults feel like they need to determine what kids like? Kids know what they like. Kids yeah. know what they want to gravitate towards. And obviously you, I, I have to believe that these people that are trying to ban books, it's just because they really love their kids maybe yeah. I don't know I don't know but we do we got to let we got to get out of the way and we we've got to put trust that our kids and like it's like you said we have to just prepare them if you read a book and you're not comfortable with it don't finish it if you read a book and you're not comfortable but you really want to know what 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 you know happens ask ask your grown up to like we'll come read it with you and we'll have a conversation it's just you know we ha- we do have to trust that that they're going to gravitate towards the books that they actually need to read and want to read absolutely they need accessibility they need to be able to have access to books easily which is why school libraries are so essential so many kids do not have books in their home and cannot afford them they and those libraries need to be filled with books in great condition current books that are from a variety of authors of different backgrounds with a lot of different kinds of books and if kids have that access and people aren't stopping them they're going to learn to love to read i can't tell you how many there are no non-readers it's just they haven't found the right book for them yet and once they do boy you see it just a spark goes off. It's fantastic. Yeah. And, and I think graphic novels, I'll sing prices of graphic novels all day long, because I think that has so many kids that couldn't find a book for them in the past 
now they have hundreds. It's marvelous. Yeah. I, you know, I noticed too, with this, this book is not for you. It's a picture book and it's total picture book format, but I love the little use of the speech bubbles in there too. So this is kind of like that uh, almost appeals to the graphic novel mind too, with the little speech bubbles and maybe like an intro to that in some way. Yeah. Yeah, it does. That was, that was Tracy Subasek, the marvelous illustrator. That was her touch that she added. I did not write any art notes into the book at all. I just wrote the text and then she turned some of the dialogue into dialogue balloons and took out the, he said, she said, which I thought was great. Yeah. I love it. Her, her illustrations is so charming and the little facial expressions that she gives everybody and the critters. And um, it's just really well done. So yes. I have a finish, uh, sorry, a sentence that I'm hoping that you will finish. It's a little okay. bit of a cliche sort of sentence, but you'll get the drift to her in a sec. <laughs> so when kids and families read this book is not for you, I hope that they laugh. Yeah. I ultimately, I mean, I just hope books make you feel good and make you feel happy. That's like number one. And I'm okay if they come away with it without realizing that I've said anything at all. But what I also hope is that a kid who's read that book in the future, if an adult tries to tell them, now this book's not for you, that experience of having read that story will give them a little bit of context, a little bit of bravery, a little bit of an ability to say, oh, I think it is. That's hard when you're a kid. That's hard when someone tells you, you know, in a shaming or mocking way that you can't do something to be able to say, but it still feels right to me. I hope that a book can help give a kid that courage. Yeah. Well, Shannon, both your words and the way Tracy brought your words to life. It, you've created a really impactful book that's going to open the minds of the grown-ups who read it with their kids, but it is going to be really entertaining for the kiddos and empowering them to read the books that intrigue them. And it will make them happy. I know it. I know it to my core. It's, it's a really fun book. Oh, thank you so much. Well, thanks so much for talking to me today, Shannon. And thanks for coming on a second time. And anybody who wants to go back and listen to our conversation about Itty Bitty Kitty Cone with Laywin Fam too, please go and do that. It's just been a joy for me today, Shannon. Thank you. Thank you, Bianca. I'd love to come anytime. Maybe someday I can start the Three Timers Club. Woohoo! Woo! Please. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. Be sure to check out our show notes. You'll find links to order a copy of This Book Is Not For You. But we know the secret, it really is for you. To see which author or illustrated guests we have coming up and how you can be on our podcast and have your questions answered by authors and illustrators, visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com forward slash the growing readers podcast. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Apple Podcasts, Chromecast, or anywhere else you like to listen. Subscribe to the show to get new episodes as soon as they launch. If you're enjoying our book chats, please leave us a review. And while you're at it, tell a friend to come and have a listen. 
The Growing Readers Podcast is a production of the Children's Book Review. To discover more fantastic books for kids, just like Shannon Hale and Tracy Supersax, this book is not for you. I hope you'll visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com.